You know how in a lot of fantasy stories there's a wizard who gathers unlikely heroes to join in on a quest? A lot of times the people who end up joining initially want nothing more than to be left alone or at the very least to keep their life calm and adventure free. Some days, I think I'm that wizard. But today, today's definitely not one of those days. Oh, um, speaking of a risk I'm willing to take, how long do you think it'd take to catch up on Jane the Virgin? What's up? Hey, Mar. Not much. Just figured I should probably make contact with the outside world before blanket burritoing myself for the day. What's up with you? That's real. I'm trying to train my cats to ride my dog like a show pony, but so far, no luck. <gasps> Cat dressage. Well, sounds like you're busy. I don't want to interrupt. I was just thinking I could use a little adventure today, you know, but if you're busy. Did you I say adventure? It. Yeah, why? Please hold. Welcome to Mar Kern's Adventure Express Funtime Services. How may I direct your call today? Um, what? What kind of adventure are you seeking today? So does this mean you're down to hang out today, or like, what do you Option, hang out, selected. Service representative Mar being dispatched immediately. Thank you for choosing Mar Kern's Adventure Express Funtime Services. We appreciate your patronage. Now, let's begin. Depending on who you ask, it starts with a red velvet cupcake, or a pink toothbrush. Or maybe it starts with Fight Club. Depending on who you ask, it ends over a static-filled phone call, or it ends over the word cunt. If you ask me, it finally ends with a chap lip kiss in the middle of the street the day after July 4th. Let's start in the middle. What's my sentence, she says to me, like someone asking for a promise fulfilled. I want to tell Liv asking me to confine myself to a single sentence is too big a limitation. Give me a paragraph, a page, a book, and we might be approaching something sensible. Instead, she lifts my hair out of the way, her hands winding their way through the strands. I can feel the warmth of her breath gentle puffs of air as she hovers above me. She traces the path of each of the branches tattooed on my back, pressing soft kisses against the tips and the forks, her tongue tracing the texts and the petals. I'm shivering and shaking 
beneath her, and she's asking me questions I can barely hear above the thumping of my own heart. What's my sentence, I mean? The way she draws out my name. I mean, it's part supplication, part worship, part seduction. I've dangled her verbs and nouns, her adjectives and adverbs in front of her, but she wants a phrase now, the completion of a thought. I want to tell her she's doing the distracting. How am I supposed to think when I'm drunk on wine and the feel of her kisses against my skin? Let's talk about that pink toothbrush. No, let's talk about Prop 8. We're in my bed when the Supreme Court decision comes out and neither of us looks at each other after we read it. I love her. She loves me. We've talked about marriage, but it feels more real in this moment, more than jokes about you hauling and arguments about whether we should have a Husky Collie mix or a Golden Retriever. I could marry this woman. I could follow her to Los Angeles, get into medical school, and be the stable provider to her risky film career like her parents hope. And in this moment, I want that more than anything. Let's jump to that word, cunt. It's in a text, so it has nothing of the biting tone that she's adopted now that we are no longer an us. She asked me whose cunt I've been in that's keeping me from seeing her. Liv has no say in who occupies my bed these days, but she seems to have missed that part in the breakup process, and I'm tired of reminding her. She makes my head ache enough to almost forget what it felt like to be in love with her. In the beginning, I was jumpy, twitchy at any signs of commitment. To say I had commitment issues would be an understatement. She left the toothbrush I gave her on my sink and I was terrified. I stared at that goddamn pink toothbrush for what felt like hours as I counted the missed opportunities for making my escape from this relationship. The last time I saw her, she called my name from across the street and ran through traffic. She looked at me with those big, beautiful brown eyes and tipped my face towards hers. I remember wanting to tell her that long distance was the worst thing you could do to people with our issues, but she was kissing me, her hands gripping my hips like they still belong there. I remember that familiar scent of irises. I remember a driver cursing as she sprinted across the street. I remember holding a CVS bag with face wash in it. I remember... I remember the beginning, a server chasing me out into the winter rain, that confident smirk telling me about the first date we had yet to plan. Ask me later, I said. The end. That's it? I mean, this happens every once in a while, but it is pretty rare that you hit an ending right off the bat. Can I try again? If we stop now, I'm just going to brush my teeth and cry for a while, I think, so. Yeah, I, I guess that'd be best. Otherwise, this isn't much of an adventure. Okay, cool, thanks. Wait a minute. How did we get to this bar? 
Isn't it a little early in the day for this? Is that Patrick? Your story begins when you run into a friend in a smoky bar on page two. I haven't told you the story of the watermelon toast. Oh yeah, wait, the summer with the watermelon toast. So we were unemployed. Deeply unhappy too. So Ronnie, Ronnie and I made a pact to not let anything distract us, like liquor, drugs, or the attention of men. She and I, we, you know, well, you don't know because you never met her, but you know, you know we were brilliant students. Well, no, 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 we were brilliant. We are brilliant. And it's braggadocious, but I'm about to talk about my depression. It'll balance out somehow. And you know, no, no, you know what? I deserve to say nice things about myself. So as I was saying about myself, we are brilliant and did fine as students. We kept up our GPAs, we participated, that whole grindstone nose-to-it mythology, we embodied it. We were smart, are smart, as well as convinced and semi-determined that our futures were both creatively fulfilling and bright. Our fields of study were those where the best defended answer was the correct one, so we were scarcely prepared for real-world rejection. It's so sharp. Numerical. Silent. The first day, it was 20. 20 applications in maybe two days? It was a fury. It was an onslaught of self-promotion, and that feels so itchy saying. But our browsers were bloated with tabs for Idealist, Glassdoor, Craigslist. I was asking family for leads and having friends look over every line of experience, each manicured title and polished verb, and we fought to be succinct and sparkling. Two things my florid, prose-addled mind had to chug black coffee and convince itself it could do. We applied to 35 more jobs in the week after that, then the first burnout. A week spent like a lonely dog waiting at our computer's windowsill. After that, we widened our scope, sent out around 20 again, and not just careers in our fields, ones with health insurance and salary quotes and good intentions. I know, I know, we didn't get what long shots were back then. An abundance of education can do a lot of things to your perceptions and goals. We thought anything without vision and dental was a sacrifice. Nonetheless, we hemmed our resumes, we bought khakis with our parents' money, well, khakis and pencil skirts. We were begging, wanting to be anything remotely considered useful to anywhere that you could pay rent. We were sacrificing a little more of that refined counterculture colored vision that we had of success. We wanted economic security above all now, but we still didn't want you to know that. Enthusiasm waned. Within a month, I had only received one reply, one ding letter. The world was a furnace I threw cover letters into. It kept the engines running, so when I stopped, it was abrupt. Sneaky, 
freaking depression sneaky creeps and seeps in like mold. I was miserable, so miserable. Self-worth plummeted, doubt spiked. The baseline of feeling was just gone. Worse than dropped, it vanished, you know? So I was quietly terrified about being unable to know how to feel, let alone get better. I was miserable, just so miserable. I couldn't even notice that Ronnie, just across the apartment, was miserable too. We were waking up, staying in bed, existing in common areas, in unspoken shifts. We were brilliant, are brilliant, you know. But instead, we were occasionally carrying our computers out of our rooms to shovel scarcely prepared food into our gullets. I don't know about her, but I was also doing this primarily in the dark, as if that could keep the electric bill down. The only feeling of victory I had had in days. Eventually, we caught sight of each other, you know, like when someone recognizes a vampire by their lack of reflection. We've only come to talk about it recently. This miserable mystery memory uncovered. It's like perfectly preserved, like Pompeii, but with Netflix and snacks. We sulked a little bit more. Fueled up with more black coffee and recognition that there was no room for self-pity anymore. Then we made that pact. No men, no substances. This is when I stopped drinking so much. <laughs> I know. I am, hey, I know. But just imagine what it was like before. <laughs> this is when I stopped doing drugs to impress people. This is when I started doing laundry, at least semi-regularly. And I started texting people back, you know, within hours instead of days. And decided to only own books that I wanted to read. We were beginning attempts at treating ourselves kindly. Calling ourselves fun employed. At least commiserating from the same room if we had to. I devoured copies of the reader. To feel engaged with the gourmet scene that I couldn't afford. And artfully indignant about local politics. I fortuitously swiped a Vanity Fair from Brownline seat, lightly tread so it retained some of its gloss, and read it over and over and over until I used it as a guard for the carpet and the coffee table when we painted our toenails. A luxury in the face of time that somehow stood still while feeling like it was always about to run out. The next step is to get out of the house. You come to the mouth of a cave with a bright light emanating from inside. Well, you know, uh, not quite. This is um, a parking garage. Listen, we live in a city. I'm working with what I've got here. I feel like some creative license should be allowed. Okay, sure, okay. I can work with this. So then what's inside this mysterious cave on Wabash? You hear a strange noise from inside. Oh boy. So, what do you do? Wait, aren't you supposed to offer me two choices? Eh, I'm not into limiting the adventure. Sometimes that kind of stuff seems really arbitrary. Oh, come on. I guess I'm going inside to see what that is. As you, the young adventurer, confidently choose your path, suddenly... Look at me. Take one look. What will you see? What do you see? Brown skin, dark features, an ethnic wash of something with a layer of trans masculinity. 
but immediately one has a desire to place me. What are you? Who are you? And rather than asking, assumptions will be made. Standing face to face, one may think, woman, Latina, Mexican, lesbian, or butch dyke. However, the moment I turn my back, because it has happened, I am addressed as sir and young man. Now, at this moment in time, I have been misgendered, not once, but twice. Because the reality is, I identify with neither man nor woman. The binary does not work for me at this time, and I do not feel attached or connected to one or the other. One or the other. One or the other. The problem exists within many perceiving what to be one thing or the other. One thing or the other. We are stuck in the mindset of my sister, my brother. What is boy? What is girl? What is woman? What is man? Drinking me in, will you even consider or think I'm trans? Have a doubt, blink an eye? Or do you think I'm not trans enough because I'm not fully transitioned into being a guy? Not passing. Or will you even consider that I am gender non-conforming, breaking the binary? And will you bother to ask what pronouns I use or prefer? From current experiences, no. Majority of the time you will resort to using she and her. It's only one or two with nothing else in between. But when I ask for what I want, at least you'll politely comply, but with the subtext of, huh, what do you mean? I am a female-bodied person who feels more and more estranged from anything related to my assigned name and gender at birth, feeling more and more disconnected with this body. But for right now, somewhere on this continuum, I sit in the middle, the neutral, gender non-conforming. And in the sea of black and white, I am gray, swimming against the tide, asking people to shift their whole paradigm, and when referring to me, not saying her and she, but using gender-neutral pronouns, wanting so badly for everyone to just be on board and not assume. A simple effort to not assume is appreciated. Any attempts at correcting yourself around me when you say she is appreciated. Being aware of the binary language that has saturated your vernacular is appreciated. You taking the time to see me is appreciated. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes time. It takes patience, and I may not see all of the changes I wish to see in my lifetime, but this is a start. This is a start. Look, it's not that I'm questioning your judgment, it's just that I- This is a perfectly secure haunted old bridge. I must have walked across this at least three times in my life, and I'm still fine, more or less, if you don't count the ghost thing. Huh, okay, well, what if I- Wait. Take this lighter. 
Oh, why? What, what do I need this for? You'll see. I work at a restaurant, and when you're checking your caddies as you're supposed to do, and I clean it out like you're supposed to do, if I spill a salt shaker over, which you are not supposed to do, I shake salt over my left shoulder, which you are also not supposed to do. But I like doing that, and I can't help it. My boss has seen me do it, but it's not enough of an infraction against anything to say anything, so he just keeps walking. I like to make tiny messes that don't hurt anyone. I like to throw small things into big dumpsters as I walk by. I've been recording things I like because I'm trying to figure out what I want. What I want. Which is not what I wish for. I don't trust the word wish. I think wish is a bullshit word. I think it's a crutch. I think it's a drug dealer. I think it's a bad boyfriend. I think it's the door you keep looking at but never open. Wish sounds resigned. Wish sounds like an exhale. Wish sounds like something I do. Which is to hope something changes, which is what I am doing. Wish sounds weak, which is how I feel when I control the noise inside me so that I don't say anything. But then I do say something. But it's not clear. So I wipe the air clean with a joke. I erase it as best as I can. I don't really hate wishes. I hate what they seem to do to me. Breed expectation, which is a rampant killer of happiness. But I do actually hate an instructional video I saw online about blowing out birthday candles. It goes like this. Step one, write several wishes on a piece of paper before your birthday. In the shot here, it's blurred, but you can see someone writing a lot of zeros and then later writing car. Step two, focus on a realistic wish, but one not so easy to attain that it won't feel like an accomplishment. Then destroy the paper so no one can ever see it. Focus on a realistic wish, but not one so easy to attain that it won't feel like an accomplishment. Destroy the paper. Realistic, destroy, no one can ever see, attain, accomplish, happy birthday, but destroy the paper, make a wish, but don't tell anyone, do not tell, a living soul, your wish, do not, under any circumstances, assume that making your wish heard will help you, you fucking idiot kid, if you say it aloud, it won't come true, if you tell people what you want, you won't get it, no, 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 that's not true, call it in, Ask for it. Be shameless. There is a ban against audible wishes. There is a traditional and well-documented censorship when it comes to telling people around you that love you something that you might hope for. It is dangerous in a lot of ways. I think that a wish is like a rough draft, a rough draft of a want that hopefully becomes a need. And maybe it becomes anger, which is actually useful. And then finally, because of the injustice of it all, you do something. I have to trick myself into wishing aloud by performing. Tomorrow I can feel like I will be this girl out there, but tonight I am only brave enough to go on stage. I wish I wasn't so grateful. I wish there was more concrete for my decisions. I wish that I would stop waiting for permission. I wish I would stop cleaning other people's plates and houses and hearts. I wish things didn't have to break for others to open. I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that writing feels like insomnia. Writing feels like prepping the grave of something I need to kill. Writing feels like rubbing sugar into the cracks of my teeth after biting down too hard on real gold. I feel like a hot glass under cold water. An explosion could happen. My heart could fly out. My hands will not be fast enough. I never want to lose anything, so when that kind of panic happens, I need a hand to pet me down. I need to be a younger sister for once. At some point, you will swap your birthday candles for a lighter. 
Your hand gets used to working with ignition, but you still need something to set fire to. So you look in the dark for what you want, set fire to that, and then you just follow that light. You're actually surprisingly good at climbing in a flaming elevator shaft. Everyone has their secret talents, I suppose. Like how I'm great at doing my taxes. Anyway, this round's on me. What were you saying again? Oh my gosh. So he kept making fun of this script he had found on a table before his set, and we realized he had nothing planned for his act. Then, after a beat, someone finally yells, That's the script for the act you're opening for! It was extremely uncomfortable. Sometimes stand-up comedy just makes me feel super anxious. (laughs) Mar, what are we doing here? This is the end, isn't it? I always imagined the adventure would end in an epic way like a sword fight or falling asleep at 8 p.m. on a weekend, but never in a comedy club. The end is never what you expect, young adventurer. But actually, I just needed a break. We've been walking all day and my TVAS don't offer such great arch support. But okay, I get the hint. Back to the adventure. Your attention is drawn to the sound of laughter across the cantina. And as your eyes adjust to the light, you see a small crowd gathering. Oh my gosh, hi! Hi everyone! How are y'all doing? Woo! Make some noise if you're excited to be here tonight. Oh my gosh, so happy to see so many beautiful queer faces in the audience. If you would have told, like, teenage me that I'd be hosting uh, a Les Fest, I'd be like, I'm not gay, I just love making mixtapes for my best friend, Kara. <laughs> and I love sleeping over there because she has a waterbed. What's the big deal? We're just best friends. So, like Carolyn said, uh, my name is Tien Tran, but my full name is actually Han Tien, which is spelled H-A-N-H-T-I-E-N. Just remember that. I once had a teacher in high school, a white teacher, who was reading through roll call, and I saw that he was about to get to my name because he had that, like, ethnic pause. And I was like, wanted to jump in and try to stop him before he said something stupid. But before I could, he looked at those letters, H-A-N-H-T-I-E-N, and said out loud, is there a Hank Tina in the room? (laughs) Hank Tina, is there a Hank Tina here? That means this grown ass adult who's been given the power to mold young minds, looked at those letters, H-A-N-H-T-I-E-N, and thought, (laughs) this is unfamiliar to me. You know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to combine... I'm just going to combine the nicknames of my favorite two American names, Henry and Christina, Hank Tina. Hank... Hank Tina? Hank Tina's not a name anywhere. Like, that's not a name in any part of the world. Unless you're, like, the child of very progressive parents from small-town Missouri, and they're like, get on out there, Hank Tina. Find the gender expression that fits you. 
Come on, Hank Tina. Scoot. Scoot, Hank Tina. Scoot. Stay away from everyone in town. Uh, Han Tien uh, in Vietnamese actually means happy fairy. And that's why I'm gay. Yes. Down in the front row. Yes. My parents did this to me. <sighs> like a Vietnamese blessing. I feel like you can't knowingly name your daughter Happy Fairy and expect them to, like, live their lives looking for some hard dong to suck down for the day. I don't know. I don't know how straight women talk. I make a terrible straight woman. Don't know how they talk. I still had to come out to my parents with a blessing and all. And when I, when I told my mom, she goes, Teeny, that's what she calls me, Teeny, you're too pretty to be a lesbian. And I was like, Mom, there are a lot of ugly straight people. <laughs> like, the majority of straight people are ugly. I can say that because some of my best friends are ugly straight people. <laughs> oh, I love telling that joke into like a room full of beautiful queers because you're like, yeah, they are ugly. <laughs> they are. They are unsightly. I just don't get it. <laughs> uh, you're probably thinking to yourself like, oh my gosh, this Hank Tina is like so hard on straight people. And I think it's because like... <laughs> I think it's because I just don't like seeing straight actors win awards for playing queer characters when I have yet to win any awards for my convincing portrayal of straight girl who gives hand jobs all throughout high school and college. <laughs> like I was method, okay? I did not break character once. Like, it was good acting. It was brave acting. Um, my, my sister and I are very different. Uh, she's very straight. I'm very gay. And she likes to flaunt her straightness by having kids or whatever. And anytime she posts a picture of my five-year-old nephew and his best friend, who is this little girl... She will, without fail, write, Oh my God, cutest couple ever. And then friends will come in, Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see them walk down the aisle. I can't wait to see their wedding. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Which is why I have started commenting on pictures of my little niece and her best little friend, this little girl. Oh my God, what an adorable lesbian couple. <laughs> send or like a picture of two little boys oh my gosh who's the top and who's the bottom send or like a picture of a group of kids just like hanging out with each other what a precious little polyamorous sex called honor looks like a really good dom send I get no likes um, I, I, uh, 
I grew up in a predominantly white suburb of Erie, Pennsylvania called Mill Creek. And you know, when you're one of a few Asian American kids, people uh, will say some pretty weird stuff to you. And by people, I mean white people. Have you guys heard of them? They are very popular right now. And by weird stuff, I mean like entertainingly racist. Not like, oh my God, that is so bad. But like, oh my God, that is very creative. Uh, where did you come up with that? So I was shopping for tankinis at the local TJ Maxx as a teenager because I wanted to be like flirty but mysterious, just like show an inch of my skin. So people are like, what's the rest of her stomach look like? And I, I feel a tap on my shoulder and I turn around and this white woman goes, are you Michelle Kwan? And I just love picturing her, seeing me across the way, thumbing through tankinis, and she's like, oh my God, oh my God. Is that, is that two-time Olympian, five-time world figure skating champion, Michelle Kwan? In my eerie TJ Maxx, oh my God, oh my God. Oh my God, I don't think anybody knows. I don't think anybody knows. I think just I know she's over there. Oh my God. I'm gonna go talk to her, I'm gonna go talk to her. So I didn't respond right away, because uh, that's never happened to me. No one has ever approached me asking if I was Michelle Kwan. Um, some of you are laughing like, she should get that more often. And I hesitated for a second, and in that hesitation, she goes, are you Michelle Kwan? Oh my gosh. So quickly we go from, you're an American hero, to you're not from around here, are you? And I don't wanna speak for Michelle. But if I were her, I feel like I would know my own name, you know? <laughs> I would know Michelle Kwan. You wouldn't have to slow it down for me. Uh, looking back on that moment, I, I feel like I can't really blame her because I was shopping for tankinis like this. That's a signature Quan move for all you Quinatics out there. That's what we call ourselves. Thank you so much. And this is now the fifth time I've saved someone with the Heimlich maneuver. Wow, I was not expecting that twist. I mean, in general, you shouldn't take mysterious apples from the cloaked and elderly, inside or outside of adventuring. Usually something's afoot. Agree to disagree. It's getting a little dark. What's next on our skidge? As dusk approaches, you realize you do not know your way back home. Shit. It is getting closer to the end of your journey, and yet you can't help but wonder what will bring you bring safely back, back to, to where, where your adventure, adventure started. started. If you choose to search inward for the magic you've held this whole time, the magic that makes life beautiful, go to page 19. If you decide to call an Uber, Go to page 64. I do love a good quick escape, but... Ronnie 
knew Allie from high school, and Allie had a summer job at Navy Pier in the ticket kiosk. She didn't hate it, which to this day I find incredible. So we decided to pay her a visit in the middle of the week on the coldest day of that summer so far because we knew we couldn't stand it when it was all sticky with tourists. When I say we paid her a visit, you know I mean we mooched. And when I say mooched, you know we actually got enough tickets for just one ride each, as much as her supervisor could politely ignore. It seemed like everyone there was in line for the Ferris wheel, so that was out. Even on an uncrowded day, the pressure of humanity was just a bit too much. Mini golf and the rock wall seemed to be too much effort. And the carousels just seemed agonizingly slow. And I've never actually admitted this to anyone before, but the wet, shellacked eyes of a carousel horse freak me out. That left the swings. You know, the swings, they actually look exactly like a carousel, but dangerous. I was apprehensive, but game. This is what fun employment was about, you know, pushing out into the world with little fear and, I don't know, a bit more joie de vivre. I sidled up, giggling, to an equally giddy Ronnie, Veronica M. Landau. I said, this might be our greatest adventure yet. It was a last-minute decision to take off my shoes. I usually do on big rides that hurl you through the atmosphere with a tenuous-looking cord of control. Because what if my shoes flew off and struck someone in the head? I don't have enough money for new shoes and a lawsuit. I would be barefoot if I slipped off my shoes. A minor embarrassment, but worth it in the face of certain shoe-to-face-based lawsuits. So I absorbed this risk of appearing feral and unlaced. The scratchy hair speckling the tops of my feet felt gracious as being licked by the wind. Then I looked down. Painting my toenails, no matter how coarsely, no matter how globbed and bubbled and ugly they could get, was a ritual. It was a private act, giving myself both time and glamour, no matter how rough my skill or strange my choices. Here were my crunchy colored toes, flippant pink across each digit, the free edge of each big toe, a pearlescent and garish blue-green, riddled with impudent black dots, my watermelon toes, a banner of sweetness across sour times. Once a silent defiance, now they howled with fear. All of those months just rushed in, taking only a moment, and every horrible thought I had about myself collided and boiled up. I was a mess. I was undeserving of anything I could ask for. I couldn't take care of myself. Look at what I did with my time. Look at what I did with my time and my body. Look at my frivolous and strange and frankly poorly executed priority. How could I be of any worth to this world? I was convinced that I could hear everyone. I could hear their laughter of judgment tinkling like an untuned piano. And there could be no other reaction to the presence of my naked, painted feet. I fell back into the chair, pushed by the weight of the eyes I swore had turned. I 
can't tell you what rising felt like, but Ronnie was smiling. The world was blank, now soundless too. I assumed this was some form of protection. Then I was pulled, compelled. The soft coo of the rushing wind rippled off the cuffed cutoffs and tugged at my collar, rushing past me, turning back to back end. My big right toe winked in the slipping sun, and the colors came back. Then a light carnival trill before it came into view. This whole fucking town is ridiculous. Built on a swamp where architects of the world's first skyscrapers had to dig down twice as high as their buildings to find bedrock. Chicago was an onion-scented bog that got too hot in the summers and too cold in the winter and had to reverse the flow of a river so the people wouldn't poison themselves, both butcher and builder, humble and stalwart, viciously defensive and ceaselessly kind of brick, of steel, a garden of complications. This is a city of inexplicable existence. If I was not fit to exist, neither was Chicago. If this city can exist, how could I not? I came to Earth in the middle of this, I don't know, existential swirling with the ease of a just-born giraffe. I made it back to my shoes. It wasn't so much of a dissonance. I heard as much as a rhythm unfound. Smiling, stumbling forward, I can't even tell you how the train ride home felt. People talk about nadirs as if your worst could be distinct, singular, finite, and there's cold comfort in that. My post-collegiate fun employment stacks up around maybe the worst moment at my first job I got after it. And the job after that, there was at least three months of sustained devastation to my self-worth. And I was too busy smiling and trying to make myself invaluable to the team, unfireable, to realize that I had set myself on fire. <laughs> I'm certain that pain is waiting for me, and not just in my working life. The trick is to not let that fact bother you. Don't ignore it, just don't let it take you. Time takes its turn without telling, and for the most part, all you can do is position yourself for the safest fall. And I get that I'm getting thick with the platitudes and nearly redundant, but it's true. It doesn't feel like it, but isn't it strange how time can take up so much more space than it ought to? Catch the memories of what getting out felt like. That's the actual trick. Beautiful moments fracture off from whirling gyres of jagged pain. Hold them. Tender. Trust in the melody rising. Allow sweetness to sustain. You know, Bianca, you might have a real knack for adventuring. Well, thank you. I've played some D&D in my time, so I know how to handle these plot twists. Yeah, even with those orcas, which were not part of what I had planned. What are you, when were there orcas? Never mind. Uh, how about you take a shot at being the adventure master for the closing credits? Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. You have two options, adventurers. 
Do you take the fist less traveled? Wait, what does that even mean? It's a feeling like this. It's centrifugal motion. It's perpetual bliss. It's that pivotal moment. It's a centrifugal. This fist, this fist. Subliminal. This fist, this fist. Cinderella sent a snow white. How does love get so off course? So all I wanted was a white knight with a good heart, soft touch, fast horse. Ride me off into the sunset, baby, I'm forever yours. It's the way you love me. It's a feeling like this. It's centrifugal motion. It's perpetual bliss. It's that pivotal moment. It's uh, unbreakable. This. This fist, this fist You can fist me in the moonlight On the rooftop under the sky oh, You can fist me with the windows open While the rain comes pouring inside oh, Fist me in sweet slow motion Let's let everything slide Oh, You got me floating You got me flying It's the way you love me This is Speaking Of, a spoken word podcast for queer and trans artists and allies. Speaking Of is brought to you by Resonate, a recording project that aims to make the music world a more open place for LGBT voices. Our brave adventurers today were Aimee Tien, Patrick Gill, Kate Healy, Avi Roque, and Tien Tran. Special thanks to Adventure Master Mar Curran. Don't forget, brave adventurers, if you come across a fork in your path, just follow your light. I don't want to go.